This episode of the Multi-Hypho podcast has been recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Hey Candy. Hey. I was thinking about what makes people attractive and what makes them repellent. I was actually thinking about what makes me attractive and what what repels people from me, actually. And I feel like telling the truth is something that's always gotten me in trouble. Not being able to assess and analyse and say, you know what, this wasn't a good time. It's always got me in trouble. And I think that's a problem. I wish this industry, this so-called Australian stage and screen industry, allowed us to critique and review so we could make things better. I mean, how are we supposed to make things better if we can't even talk about the shit? I want to talk about the shit. I want to talk about the shitty times. I want to talk about the hard times. I want to talk about the things that get in the way of making beautiful art. I want to talk about it. A few years ago now I went to this, uh, like a, day sort of presentation or a talk called um, Decentering Whiteness in the Arts. And Maria Randall was one of the panel speakers, amazing Maria Randall, choreographer, dancer. And she said the best thing. She just went, so, so she got asked the question, so, you know, how do you decenter whiteness? And she said, well, I don't make work about it. I center blackness. That <laughs> was like yeah. a revelation. Yeah, yeah let's just yeah. stop. Talking about it, let's uh, just yeah. focus on something else for a bit. Yeah, step aside. Yeah, it's yeah. as simple as that, actually. Yeah. Decentering, right. literally. Yeah. And you know, it's the, the thing about decentering is that it's that it's not it's not that your story is not important. Like everyone's stories are important, but there's been so much yeah. of, of it, and it's yeah. at the center. You know, it's taken all the resources. We just wanna, we just really? wanna decenter it. Make mm-hmm. make the, the the landscape a more equitable space. Space. I want to talk to people from multiple identities, multiracial, multisexual, multi-creative folks, people who don't fit neatly into boxes, or have to tick multiple boxes, or have to make new boxes of their own. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. My next guests have just been appointed the co-presidents of Victoria's Green Room Awards Association. Sir Peter Kian is a director, actor, theatre maker and dramaturg of stage and screen. Her recent credits include Fuck Fabulous, Atomic, Anthem and Merciless Gods on stage, Evanescence, Bad Mothers and Tomorrow When the War Began on screen. From 2017 to 18, she was the director in residence at Malthouse Theatre and currently teaches acting and directing at the Victorian College of the Arts, Melbourne University. 
Eugene Tay is a theatre maker, architect and designer of dance, theatre, opera and fashion. His recent credits include Endgame, Straight White Men, Black Showgirls, The Happy Prince, Titus Andronicus, Lady Eats Apple, Exile and The Howling Girls. In 2019, he presented a fashion collection at New York Fashion Week in collaboration with Angela Clark, and he is also the recipient of the prestigious Keith and Elizabeth Murdoch Fellowship. I'm Azeri Iranian. So we had migrated to Qatar some years before I was born, but I was actually born in Tehran because my mum had had complications with the pregnancy. Mm. So I spent only a month in Iran, though, and then we went back to Qatar and I lived in Qatar in Doha until I was three and then we migrated to Australia and I grew up in Sydney. Somehow my family landed uh, not, we didn't have any money. I have no idea how we landed there, but I grew up on the North Shore in Sydney. Whoa, what <laughs> suburb? I grew up in St Ives and Pimble area. It was Whoa. full on. It was so full on. <laughs> so you didn't have the Lakemba or the Western Sydney experience. You grew up in St Ives. It was, yeah, Whoa. it was very intense. I was one wow. of like a handful of, you know, People of colour there, non-what, yeah. what, yeah, Wasp, basically, yeah. non-whats. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, however, throughout high school, my best friend was, um, her mum was Aboriginal and her dad was Indian from Fiji. Hmm. So I was very lucky in some ways to have that and have her mum, who was constantly through my high school years, just like, it's Peter you got to know what, what's going on in this country, blah, 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 blah. So in the face of all that sort of racism, at least I had that little island. Um, but, yeah, yeah it was very white, very racist, very racist. Absolutely. What about you, Eugene? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Yeah. And um, I only came to Australia when I was about 19. Mm. Um, so we grew up there. Uh, we lived in Singapore for about three years during that time as well. Um, but yeah, Pitt, born and bred really in Malaysia and came, came to Australia to pursue my career and my current individuality, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Yes. I grew up in, in Dandenong, which was quite diverse, but then we went to school out in uh, at Holy Eucharist in Chadston. So then I became right. one of the only kids of colour, but my mother was a superhero at the school because she taught prep and all the kids were in love with her and half the school spoke in a South African accent because they all idolised my oh, mom. fantastic. <laughs> but then you start thinking, say it's not of like race or colour, you start thinking about um, feeling different because you're theatrical or you're gay, <laughs> like you start going, okay, some, uh, it, it's so many things, like I've got cousins and friends who, who are obviously the same background as me but weren't different to everybody in many other ways, so they sort mm -hmm. of fit in because they're just normative and conventional and conservative in every other way other than their skin, you know, or something. Yeah. But then when I wanted to make multi-hypho because I wanted to talk to people who were like, oh, variables, multiple, um, you know, points of difference. So yeah. I wonder in 
Yeah, I often wonder those those early stories of, of that first clock that, oh, I'm not like the others. Remember on Sesame Street, one of these kids are not like the others. Do you have any strong memories of that moment where you looked around and went, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not one of these people? But you know how in um, newsagents you'd get, like, things with names on them? Okay. You know, you might get the plaque for doors or you might have, like, a key ring with your name on it or whatever yes. kind of thing they're trying to sell at the local <laughs> newsagent. Yes. I knew my name would never be there. I knew it. But every time I went, I would always go and look and see if my <laughs> name was there. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. No, for Peter. I mean, I didn't have friends when I was growing up. I didn't have many friends at all. I didn't, mm. like, go and hang out, you know, like, go and um, hang out in the mall with a friend. Like, there was mm. none of that for various reasons, mm. for various reasons. But also, like, particularly in Singapore and also the, the way we were brought up, um, we, I don't know, you, we, you just work. You know, you, particularly in Singapore, you come home. And then you, you eat your lunch or whatever. And then you go and do to, like workbooks or tutorial books by yourself for like four hours. And then you have dinner. You know, you like, you, you know, rest a bit and then you have dinner. And then you like, in, in the evening, you work some more. You know, wow. so it's like, it's the, I think it's the culture. But also I remember, I remember vividly, you know, even in high school, I was, um, didn't have many friends and I, you know, I would do a lot of things by myself in my room and, you know, I, I learned how to do shorthand. You know, I, I learned all these things by myself. Um, and I, th I realized that I was a bit weird and, and different back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, it wasn't until I came to Australia where, you know, there was a, a, a whole nother level because, you know, I started coming out because you can't in Malaysia. So when I was That's overseas, right. I discovered that, you know, hey, there is this queer, queerness and it is, it is accepted and you can come out. And, and I did, and, you know, there was another level of um, otherness. And of course, you know, I'm Asian and, and you know, I, I remember hanging out with the, I was always hanging out with the, the odd bunch, you know, the, yes. even in school, um, peop yeah, people of color. Uh, one of my best friends was at that time, um, she had really severe spina bifida, um, mm. and I mean, I, I think I felt comfortable around people who were equally othered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was 17, I found a place that was um, doing drama classes. It was Packed, Packed Theatre, which is still running in Sydney. At mm. that time, it was called Packed Youth and Experimental Theatre. Yeah. And um, they ran free drama classes, which is why I could go, because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go. And when I hit there, I think I was 16. That was like, that was for me, um, finding a group of like-minded people. It was a little bit diverse. It could have been more diverse. Um, but, you know, me and my bestie that I made there, Colin, also First Nations as well. So there was a little bit of variety, but what brought us together was actually class, really, more than mm. anything. It was socioeconomic class because, wow. you know, yeah. It, so I think that was the umbrella factor. Was it very clear, though? Was it, you said, like, cultural, it wasn't even that clear back no, then? No, it wasn't that clear back then. Well, it's hard because the adults there weren't queer, or at yeah. least not 
out. I think a lot of us younger ones have since emerged <laughs> into the queer realm. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, it wasn't so explicit at that time. That's something. But it was very, uh, it wasn't um, frowned upon or yeah. um, I never heard people making disparaging remarks that I was aware of yeah. in that yeah. regard. It just felt a whole lot more open. I'm always surprised actually how not so queer theatre and performance is in Australia. Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? I how? find it so bizarre. But how? then I also think for me there's an out dated perception of queerness to be honest with you in mm. theatre and television in Australia for example so many people have no idea I'm queer I've been asked what mm. sort of queer I am or mm. I'll be quite explicit about being queer but you know they'll see me oh no 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 or they'll just make assumptions mm. about me and my relationships and I always find it quite interesting mm. but um their You're perception not of it well enough Peter for my TikTok basically <laughs> Um, but also queer tends to be gay men mm. a lot of the time yeah. in Australian theatre, I find still mm. like this. Exactly. And, you know, when mm. I was like going through my, you know, 20s and, you know, that it, it was like gay. It was, yes, I'm gay. I'm queer. Mm. I'm also gay. But it was like gayness. I don't feel like I'm a gay man because a gay man, the definition of a gay man seems to be like a white man. Mm. you know, with a particular physicality to their bodies, you know, and this is, these are the people you see under the covers of magazines. These are the people mm. who are perpetuated everywhere. Mm. Um, and if you're not that, people won't even talk to you, you know. Yeah. And, and so it's like I, a homo, it's homonormativity almost that there's normative. like a totally. normative element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. 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 yeah cool. So Eugene, what brought you to theatre? Um, I... When I was in high school, I did a lot of theater as a, an actor. I, I performed a lot, so I did acting. What roles did you play? Oh. Do you remember any of the roles? Oh my God, I mean, it's funny, but the, my first role was mine. You know, like I didn't have a voice <laughs> even back then. I mean, I, you know, I loved it. I loved the, the craft and everything. And I, you know, I was one, I was like probably the only person who had, who had done, you know, <laughs> drama, dance, um, so, uh, so choir singing and, oh my goodness, and the, the band as well. Uh, I mean, I, I did, can't handle I, it. Did you, yeah. did you do dance, Peter? Did you do dance at all? I did. I did mm. ballet when I was very mm. young, actually, from like sort of on and off from the ages of about four to 15. We yeah. need to put all of our dance pictures out there. <laughs> yeah. I've got these great ones in a tutu with my hands, like kind of like blocks, you know. <laughs> Uh, my favourite was because there was always so many girls that all of my partners, it was always so queer because it was always a girl dressed up as a boy. And I remember <laughs> crying because I really wanted to be partnered with this particular girl. And I thought, early days, wasn't it? Early days. Uh, and then I remember yeah. giving her my lollipop and saying thank you for her choosing me. <laughs> she was really so tall. Funny. And I was like, <laughs> I really wanted her to be my lollipop dance boyfriend the sun is lit and forgotten me it's dark I cannot see why does this rain pour down I'm gonna drown in a sea of deep confusion somebody told me I don't know 
whenever you are sad and blue And you're feeling all alone and left behind Just take a look inside you and you'll find you gotta hold on Hold on through the night Hang on Things will be alright even when it's dark, and not a bit of spark, and sing some sunshine from above, spreading rays of sunny love, just hang on, hang on to the vine, stay on, soon you'll be divine. If you start to cry, look up to the sky, something's coming up ahead, turn your tears to and so I hold on to this advice When change is hard and not so nice If you listen to your heart the whole night through Your sunny someday will come one day soon to you You've worked on some of the most outstanding examples of intersectionality, uh, queerness and, and race across your career. So those works are coming yeah. to you. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you think, well, why didn't that one also go? But anyway, <laughs> they're coming to you and you're shaping this career around that. So you're getting clearer and clearer in how you, what buttons you press to to talk about it. Because we do talk about the aesthetics of queer mm -hmm. film a lot, but mm -hmm. less so and mm -hmm. and how we make uh, how we make story, not just with yeah. the text, obviously, with our bodies, with lighting, with with costumes. So, mm -hmm. when you sort of talk of, talked earlier about feeling you could express yourself and you were finding yourself through this space, what do you feel, or or are there things or methodologies that you begin to see flowing through your work? Is it color? Is it sequence? Is it, um, you know what I mean? Like, I think, because I'm, my mom's yeah. Chinese and um, all my aunties that are more Malaysian Chinese, I mean, we can talk, can we talk sequin? Because it is real, right? It's, it's essential. <laughs> it's essential. <laughs> yes. Add that to the COVID checklist. Yeah, <laughs> it's essential. Um, look, it's, you know, I, as I said, I, you know, when, when I started doing theater, uh, you know, my, uh, my my identity sort of changed vastly. You know, it 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 was so different to like working in an office as an architect because you're like mm. looking at inanimate objects, you're looking at buildings, you're you know this, you know, yes, there's a small amount of politics in there, but it, nothing. You know, making theater, it is making art, and you know after after ten years of doing it, it's it's becoming more more. I mean, I'm not. Just uh, you know, I say that I'm a, a theater maker and a designer. I'm not just a yes. designer because it's it's about making the work. It's about making your work the work together with your collaborators. And I, and more more and more so, am I sort of choosing to work with very particular artists? You know, I'm not just like being offered a job and then like going to pick a color. You know, for no mm -hmm. reason. It's, it's yeah. It's sort of like having the conversations, and it's. I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize that when you make a show, uh, a lot of things uh, are being talked about behind the scenes. That things that you don't see, see things that you don't realize went into the end product. 
but yeah. yeah it's 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 um it's a month and months of conversations and it's also a a collection of all your experiences and all your um, conversations that you've had with various artists um, along the way as well to sort of really it's so, define. It's so interesting. It's like your ne- your book should be like the dramaturgy of the sequin. It feels like, <laughs> yes. um, and it's the way I love to work as well. Absolutely, the way I worked in with One the Bear was all of my designers were my dramaturgs. Yeah. You yeah. had to have a working knowledge of what we were trying to do, the deeper mm-hmm. allegory uh, around freedom and apartheid and the matrilineal lines. No one could have just been out there going uh, on their phone and going, oh, just hand in the sound design on a Friday or no. something. This no. old way or, or perhaps that way, hierarchical way of working on those really um, specific structured theatre shows came out of people learning that, learning that and then just being able to sort of slot in, but I do, and I do really feel this, that people of colour in, in, in theatre and my experiences even in the Melbourne scene, which obviously isn't super ideal, but there are moments and flashes, mm-hmm. we're, we're actually creating a body of work that speaks to the, this moment of decolonising. So um, whatever can be upturned gets upturned and switched. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... And it feels like um, there's too many, there's so many fights just to get on the stage. I'm not sure who's got their eye on that, (laughs) you know, of of actually what's going on. Mm. Uh, I hope to be able to platform more in the festival that I get to curate for the next two years because I really Mm. feel like that's going to be where we get to see. So fantastic. And for my thing was I could go to Edinburgh and watch if I wanted to, you know, queer black women from 9am to 9pm or even midnight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on any given day. Yeah. And then I'd come back to Australia and be like so down because I'd go and yeah. just, you know, see Zara Newman in a maid's outfit or something and think that's what I've come home to see. Yeah. I remember, I mean, that. I remember that piece, Candy. I was horrified. It was I was horrifying. like, really? Really? Horrifying. It's so explicit and you're really going through with that. So, yeah, yeah I remember but yeah, these acts, I, these are acts of violence, you know. Yeah, exactly, and you know, as a as a as a creative, as who is part of the the making of the show, I mean, you you have to question everything, and you know, I think there's a lot of uh, misconception that you know people go like, oh, what you know, what you see on stage, oh, that looks nice, or that's you know. But what I do is, I'm always questioning what you know, why does this person have to be wearing, you know, a 17th century, you know, European uh, garments? You know, why is this, how can we change that? Although it's set in that period, you know, how can we look at it in a new, with a new lens? How can we reframe it um, in contemporary world? Because these are the, these are new conversations that we're having right now and we can't sort of go back and go, Oh, this is what they used to wear back then, and I'm going to reproduce it and make it look pretty. You know, that's that's mm. not what I do. And I think yes. also, you know, also some sometimes companies hire me and they're like, oh yeah, make it look a particular way that sort of rests on the structures that have been already been established uh, by a very like Western lens. And mm. I I don't I don't do that. And that's why yes. that's maybe why I do attract, you know. Uh, makers and artists who who want to sort of 
deconstruct the patriarchy. Um, so that must that. be just even, I guess, people who don't know you yet, they can hear your tone and perhaps how you speak. And I've always thought, and the first show we worked on together, I think was Straight mm -hmm. White Men at mm -hmm. MTC. Yeah. And I, the moment you spoke, I was like, oh. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, oh, wow, solid, knowledgeable, you know, um, comrade in the group oh, who wow. knows how to speak wow. about things. But also... Uh, I think you have to deal with a lot of the perception as an Asian of mm. being polite and leaning more towards mm. assimilation. So mm -hmm. I feel like you must surprise a lot of people at times or have an interesting fight on your hands because, you know, I'm an angry black woman. They, yeah. They're often surprised yeah. that I'm uh, articulate and thoughtful and considerate. And I've had that said <laughs> to me and I thought... Well, are you oh really God. just telling me how racist you are in three yeah. words right now? But how how have you found when you've come up against, you know, um, some pretty difficult barriers that to, to move through? Because what you're really doing is disrupting those systems. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it. it so, firstly, it happens all the time. It happens mm -hmm. all the time, um, and I get I get really angry about it. You know, mm. but I think it's ultimately it fuels me to sort of move mm. on. And in my next work, I, I want to address that. And I yes. use that and go like, no, this is, we can't lean back on this. We need to move forward. And how do we do that? And, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's, always, there, there's hardly any easy answers. So that's why we mm. as artists have to like always strive to, to find them and to work to find them. And it's really hard work, but I think that, you know, in a way it fuels me. And um, yeah, mm. I, yeah, yeah, it fuels me. So one of the things I do when I work, it's about process and, and particularly because I'm constantly finding myself in institutional spaces and mm. often the only person of color in there. Yeah. So I feel like it's my job to hold space or to mm. create space to allow people to create as much ease as possible in the room because one of the things I notice, not just from myself, but I notice with a lot of people that I work with, when you're coming from a diverse background, let's say, mm. for want of a better term, mm. um, you are apologising before you walk in the room. It is so hard for us to feel comfortable in a room yes. and I think... People just don't know that. They don't say, no, I've been so nice. It's not about that. It's not about what you are doing. It is mm. specifically about what you're doing, but it's actually not about you. It's the whole setup. It's me walking into this building. It's me. Yeah. It's all of it. So okay. I try and hold space in those spaces as best I can to allow other people. So at VCA, I try to do that for the students yeah. as well as other staff members if I yeah. can, and also for myself. Having travelled around the world, I feel like I can only exist today as a theatre maker and an artist because I've seen people who look like me doing it in Edinburgh or in mm -hmm. London or in South Africa or in Canada, in New York, you know. Uh, if I hadn't have left the country, I might not have pursued the art form. I really feel that strongly because I just don't think I could have felt uh, at home enough, which is really tough because... This week, uh, I've been doing a lot in my job, speaking to a lot of artists, and I think this desire or this spark of creativity, particularly for those of us who are theatre nerds, which is a very specific nerd mm. life, mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
you feel so at home because it is a space, it feels like for outliers. Oh. For me, the last time I worked on a main stage, I just went, this is shit. This art is shit. This entire environment is shit. Why would I come back to a shithole and try and have integrity and all that sort of thing? And that got me to this point, right, where I went, no, thank you. And what I found incredible as well, and I feel very, you know, it's hard not to find like a white lady hippie language, but I feel pretty blessed and grateful <laughs> to have had this little moment where film took me to L.A. And then I lived in a space where just did some pilots and um, pilot reads and then also put my work and got to speak to these high-level managers then in Australia, you know, like Robin Gardner's not calling me right now, but CAA in LA and writ large are. And what I learned was my Lord Australia is racist because over there I get called exceptionally talented, brilliant, beautiful, incredible, oh. pretty much on the daily. Well, and yeah, over they're here, you away. Here yeah. I am, yeah. don't go near her. her. She's scary. She's not very good at what she does. I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't. Really angry. No, she's really yeah. angry. Um, I know, I get the workable. angry thing as well. She's not workable. And I go, isn't this interesting? Because I would walk into the writers' rooms and the spaces I was in with, you know, the highest level production houses, and they would go, oh, the sunshine just came in the room. <laughs> so fantastic. Hey, you know, but well, I just want to say going back to, you know, when we, when we worked on Straight White Men, you were oh, the yeah. sunshine. You were. <laughs> and you were so inspiring, you know, for me. You know, because yeah. I had, I was, I, used, I was used to working in like, very, you know, with very white, um, yes. very, you know, artists of that, yeah. of that ilk. Yeah. Uh, yes, they were all good artists, but they, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't question, they didn't question things. And um, I mean, not that they didn't question things, but they, Blind Sorry. spots, big blind, blind spots. There were, there were blind spots. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, you, you also empowered me in so many ways. And that's why it's mm. so important to have those people in the room, you know, to, to be mentors, to sort of to lead the way, to show the way. Um, yes. And I've, I mean, I, I, I'm also conscious that sometimes when I work with, um, you know, New York uh, uh, budding artists or, or fresh graduates that that I, I I need to show them that you know this yes this yeah. is possible and that you need to empower them and yes. and they, they take all this all this in yes because they need to see and learn, and learn. the first thing I ever wanted to be was a poet and um, my sister gave me a little book to write my poems in and this is a poem I wrote when I was about eight. And I will say I have recently been thinking about it again because it feels very apt. At the time that I wrote it, I, it was a very difficult time for me and I think it's been a pretty tough time now. So I think it provides a little bit of hope, a little message from my eight-year-old self. The poem is titled Life. <laughs> and it goes... Life can be happy or sad, cruel and treacherous, poor and bad. You may have problems, you may have sorrows, but whatever happens, there will still be a tomorrow. Mm -hmm.
what what sort of things are you listening to that are just really getting you going or watching? Um, I think since we've been talking about you know grounding grounding yourself and coming to to your roots, I've been listening to uh, my friend my friend who's an artist uh, Mindy Mindy Meng Wong, and mm. she's a she's a she, she plays the guzheng, which is a traditional uh, Chinese instrument, but she's mm. very, she does it in a very experimental, and she reframes it um, in a very contemporary way, and it's so. Um, invigorating to listen to this like very very traditional instrument played in a, such a powerful and imaginative way. I think that her new the the new album I'm listening to at the moment it's imp- imp- improvisations through time and space. Beautiful. So Peter, music. Um, I've been listening. Um, I've been trying to listen to a lot more First Nations artists. Well, not mm-hmm. trying, just wanting, just because I've heard a few and then just getting quite into it and really Barker is someone who I've been listening to I think is amazing mm. actually at the moment yeah. yeah that's kind of a new sort of pop-up for me it's been great yeah yeah, yeah. my friend Emma Donovan's um, album new album oh, I heard a couple of the tracks from that and it sounds phenomenal I have phenomenal. to say yeah and in terms of um watching stuff my partner and I've been watching um a lot of k-drama lately which I'm right? loving Oh my Just goodness. saying, Reply 1997 and Crash Landing on You. <laughs> Get out there. Is it on Netflix, the K-drama? Or? Um, yeah, 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 they are. They're yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just we've just also been watching The Rest of Jane the Virgin as well. We've watched quite <laughs> a bit of that already. Crash, I love that. Oh, nice. my God, it's nice. so hilarious. Have you listened to podcasts? Yeah, I really like still processing. Mm. When I get a chance, I listen to that. I also try to catch um, Stop Everything, which is mm, Radio National yeah, program. Yeah. Yep, yep, with Beverly Wang yeah, and Benjamin Law. I just, for me, that's just quite amazing. I've never heard anything on Australian radio like that, so I like to support it as well. Multi Hypho is hosted and created by Candy Bowers, recorded and produced by Christian Biko, supported by Linda Hurd and Art Centre Melbourne, Creative Victoria, Darabin City Council, Bob Creative, and Candy B. Big love to Senari Chandrani, Jingwa Chen, and Karen Bravo. Multi Hypho, getting comfy on the intersection since 2020. I have to tell you this story. So I remember seeing this gorgeous person walking past with this fabulous gold bag, like gold, metallic, shiny, and I went, love them. I need to know that person. <laughs> I, feel, I feel Eugene may have this effect on people across. I mean, All the time. I, I have a secret tally of how many men he may have turned in and across the industry just because – I think the amount of times I said, like, to, I, I, is this naughty? I don't know. Um, straight men, like, but if you were gay. <laughs> and the amount of times they're like, Eugene is a lot, Eugene. I mean, I don't want to mess up your current situation. And I think it's really hard dating straight people, so don't do that ever yeah. again. But you are so bloody stunning. Oh, my uh-huh. God. Hey, you know? Hey. Right. That that is, yeah. It's you know it's where I kind of it's I think I, I'm kind of in, 
a denial that I, I dress outrageously or, you know, uh, or I don't know, this, I, I feel like that's, that, uh, you know, in one sense, that's, that is a facade. But I also, I love clothing and I love, you know, I love design and I, I just want to, I just want it and I want to embody that. And sometimes I just don't care what other people think, you know, and I, yeah. I remember like sometimes going to, you know, going to country towns and, you know, and, and my, you know, and you'd, you'd see scary people who might potentially beat you up because you're, you're dressed mm -hmm. in a secret shirt. Um, and you appear gay, and you are Asian, you know, and, you know, my partner, I mean, uh, not, you know, t to be fair, you know, it, it, it is, there are some good points there, and it's like, oh, you should tone down, especially when we're out, out here, and, you know, and I was like, well, I don't, you know, why should I dress for these people, you know, and what they think, you know, I don't, I don't go into them and tell them, stop wearing that ugly, boring, sad shirt, <laughs> You know, like, come on. <laughs> to all of us, and it makes us sad. So, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you can dress and it can make them feel confused, I can say to you, you make me feel very sad about everything in the world, and who would have even made that shirt? If you listen to your heart the whole night, your sunny someday will come one day soon. Two.